Entertainment's podcast from Bottom Line Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I'll be your host for a discussion that asks a question. When it comes to fraud, are enterprises really on the case? It's a shameless, I must admit, an obvious twist on the issue of enterprise case management, which is where this episode is going to focus. So I'm not nearly as expert as our two guests, who I'll introduce shortly, but I do want to start with a take on the definition of ECM. Um, for me, as I said, a little less expert <laughs> than our people on, that are on the podcast today, um, it's best understood by comparing to the analog days of payment and fraud activity. So back then, when an enterprise was visited by fraud, it took a hard to mix manage of automated detection, disparate information sources, and human effort to track down and investigate fraud. But ECM, done properly these days, will allow investigators and analysts to manage and track all cases within a single automated system for creating and managing alerts, cases of suspicious activity, and support for suspicious activity reports. So we're fortunate to have some exclusive research to base our podcast on today, courtesy of our relationship with UK-based fraud and financial crimes consultancy, Themis. Um, and here to help us discuss the key findings from that report, we have their financial crime researcher, Eliza Thompson. So welcome, Eliza. Hi. How are you guys? Great to be here. Good. Good to have you. And from bottom line, we have um, Global Senior Project Manager for Fraud and Financial Crime, Mohammed Al-Zaraikat. Now, um, Mohammed has 16 years of experience, more than 16 years of experience in this space um, in various roles at global banks, regulatory bodies, tech companies. Um, he has, I think you'll find over the next 15 or so minutes, a unique financial crime compliance knowledge um, it, which is kind of a blend of uh, academia, domain expertise, enthusiasm, and a good regulatory mindset. So with all that, Mohammed, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and I'm very, very glad to be here. Thank you. Good, good. It's good to have you. So there's a lot of great data in this report. Um, I would uh, urge anybody to go to um, the, to, we'll just keep a heads up for a link. Um, within our uh, communication channels and on our site um, when it does become available. Um, so the respondents were dominated by private and commercial banking, which is where we wanted to be, and pretty much split between the UK and the US, which was what we wanted. Among that data, a couple of things that jumped out to me, 42% of all companies have encountered fraud during the past two years. 27% more, lost more than $1 million annually, which uh, I found surprising. So Eliza, I know there were some other findings that jumped out at you. Could you tell us about them? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, as you said, the report had some really key insights into payment fraud trends across the financial sector, and then really hit home at just how important anti-fraud and case management solutions are in uh, combating those risks. I think one key takeaway that stood out to me was just the elements of today's payment uh, landscape that are creating the most fraud risk. So one thing that was really highlighted was the increasing speed and volume of payments stood out as two really key risk factors. So 51% of respondents identified these as their greatest risk. 
And then building off of that, um, really interestingly, 59% of respondents identified real-time capabilities as the most important factor when selecting payment fraud solutions. So I think this really shows the demand for faster and digital payment options is creating a really tough terrain um, for financial institutions to navigate. So companies, banks, you know, they want real-time solutions in order to respond um, to real-time threats, which makes sense, obviously. Um, and then I think some other key, really interesting insights. One was around priority areas for anti-fraud strategy. So particularly around selecting case management solutions and two of these kind of key priorities that uh, were identified by respondents were self-empowerment and then no coding configurability as well. Interesting. Interesting. So, Mohammed, I've, I've been reading a lot about the priority of no-code solutions. Could you tell us a bit about that? What are their advantages, if there are any? Yeah, I mean, I'm really uh, delighted that um, this topic was highlighted in the, this report. And um, by that, just let me clarify what the what this no-code configuration uh, concept is. So just to put it in perspective, it is really not a solution or not a feature within a solution. It is rather a concept in which the the, the, the vendors or the solution will give the, the capability for the users to slice and dice a solution the way they want, the way that works with better for them without any uh, technical skill or engagement with the original vendor of the solution. So that is where this no-code configuration sits in as a concept. Now, the reason for this, because in the enterprise case management in general, for the throughout the year, financial crime investigations, there is really no size fits all in terms of uh, uh, the way the investigation process works. So there is really no like uh, a handbook you follow and uh, all the investigations across all the organizations uh, around the world are the similar. So there's various variation between each institution and their way of investigating the financial crimes. So very, there will be absolute and important aspect of the customization or the configuration between those organizations. And that's why the you know, code configuration is absolutely important. And one of the key advantages or, or, or benefits is basically give the organization more uh, autonomy over the solution. And they can configure the solution the way it works for their teams uh, 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 if it is one team, if it's throughout the enterprise, different teams, that also helps them. And another advantage is it copes with the changing regulatory requirements. And and if you look, for example, the, 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 the change in the requ regulatory requirements requires more uh, adaptation for systems. If you have control over the system, you can customize the system the way you want without interaction with you know the, the vendors and and that will save some cost and will lower the total cost cost of ownership of the owning the solution itself uh, 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 as an organization. And lastly, I want to say really like uh, I, I work as a regulator and really one of the things that we really li uh, don't like is a black box. If someone come up to me saying uh, this is a black box so solution or this is the uh, the secret sauce or recipe for the solution, we don't like that. We need the transparency, we need auditability of the system, and everything has to be really clear for the users, for the organizations to adapt. And that's what you no know, code configuration really allows you to do and customize without actually getting involved into change requests, lengthy process, uh, uh, and, um, and legal arrangement with the, with the vendor, original vendor of the system. So that's how I see the advantages here. 
Great. Well said. Good explanation. Let's get to enterprise case management, which will be the topic of the day and the data. So Eliza, 39% of respondents said they currently have a commercial ECM solution. 32% said they had a custom solution, but 17% don't have one at all, which I found to be surprising. Um, what are some of the other significant findings from your perspective in this area? Yeah, definitely. I agree. There are some uh, interesting uh, data points within what we found. So I think one, um, in, term of, in terms of respondents, satisfaction rate was fairly neutral for their um, ECM uh, tools. So respondents on average said they were around a six out of 10 in satisfaction rate. So, you know, not bad, but, but not, um, you know, ideal in terms of really being highly satisfied with, with how it's working. And then, as you mentioned, 17% of respondents said they don't have a solution at all currently. And then really interesting of that is 34% said that they plan to invest in a solution within the next year if they don't have one already. But of those that don't have one, um, kind of concerning, 37% said their organization only planned to invest within the next 12 to 24 months. And then 11% said they had no plan to invest. So I think this identifies that there's, you know, kind of a gap in this area. Um, it's, you know, whether it's financial institutions, banks potentially either not seeing the importance of these solutions or maybe not having the resources to invest in one. So I think this really highlights that there's a key gap in the fraud prevention strategy across the industry in terms of, of um, you know, integrating case management solutions. And then another um, area that was interesting that ties into this was uh, around budgets. So 21% of respondents said their anti-fraud spending budget decreased over the last year, which I think um, is really potentially uh, worrying due to the fact that financial losses associated with payment fraud is increasing in key markets such as the U.S. So I think now is really a time, you know, to focus a lot on anti-fraud strategy. Um, and so, you know, hopefully... Uh, organizations are factoring that in. And then as already discussed, um, for those looking to invest in case management solutions, self-empowerment and no coding configurability were top priorities. And then some other interesting uh, key areas of importance that were highlighted were workflow automation um, and then flexibility reporting capabilities and also the scalability of solutions were really key areas that stood out. Thanks, Eliza. You know, Mohammed, this sounds to me like it should raise some very serious questions um, among banks and, and non-financial financial institution companies. Um, so if you're dissatisfied with your current solution or shopping for your first, what are some of the things that they should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I really concur very well with what Eliza has said about the no-code configuration is really a key player in the selection process, giving the budgets and constraints about the resources and the uh, the scarcity uh, uh, of basically the, the the talents in the market. So that really helps in the uh, the process. Um, the other area is really very important is the the capabilities with the enterprise case management around data digestion and holistic risk view. These are really important stuff that is, um, uh, 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 in my opinion, very, very, um, uh, very important with the investigation process because 
you need the data because the investigation really relies so heavily on the data in order for you to make a decision. So you need the related information. And the data usually is, you need to make sure that the data also is accurate. So that's a very important aspect. The data is updated because obsolete data doesn't mean help of the investigation and whether it's available and if it is available with the right um, uh, uh, a portion or knowledge that we need from the data. And again, the relevancy of the data to the case. Um, these are very important. And on top of that, once you get the data, you need to do some more of the normalization on the data. So this is another area I see in the, in the industry. People will look into this. The normalization basically is, you know, you get data from structured and unstructured sources. And some of them will come like in dates, different formats. The currency would be like three digits or they the sign of the currency and a good example actually i remember once um i have been approached by one of the colleagues doing the investigation asking me about what this code means for a country which basically happened to be uae which i mean that sounds good because this person probably doesn't know what uae stands for united arab emirates for example not everyone knows that but the system should know that the system should make it very user friendly to the investigator investigators given that this is what the country is despite the, i got the, the 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 currency as a usd but could be that us dollar or make it very clear so this is the normalization and this is very important because it helps in the um, insights and uh, that leads me to the other area. Uh, we see the, the, uh, the, the, the financial institutions looking for really an important dashboards in which they can have an insight of where the losses, where the recoveries happen on the, uh, on the uh, uh, financial impacts of these cases because you already have the data and this has been investigated by the team. And we need to make sure that we have an insight about where is the projection of the losses over the next five months, five, six years. So it helps the, the management understand where the organization is headed in terms of these uh, uh, fraud losses. It could be something wrong with the policies. It could be something wrong with the onboarding of specific type of customers. And that's what led the whole influx of these cases. And ultimately, the bank will be on the brink of bankruptcy because of these amount of losses. It's good to have that insight. And I see this is one of the important areas I have been um, uh, involved in and see there's a lot of interest in the market for. All right, thanks. Eliza, 11% of respondents took more than a month to defect, detect fraud. 52% discovered it through automated alerts. 38% discovered it manually. It's quite a spread. Um, what does the survey say in your interpretation about detection? And what are the challenges to implementing more effective strategies here? Yeah, definitely. I think um, to me, the two biggest challenges that stood out in terms of implementing effective strategies and really making full use of, um, you know, fraud detection tools and case management tools. Um, the two things that uh, respondents identified as their biggest challenges were lack of human resources and then inadequate employee training or awareness. So I think this really highlights, you know, the enduring importance of humans within the anti-fraud process. So, you know, it's really important, um, as we've talked about, you know, if organizations, companies are potentially seeing a decrease in budget or um, just struggling with resources, you know, how can they make the most of what they have? How can they, you know, make um, their whole process more effective, more accurate? 
So I think, again, this is really where, you know, case management solutions come in. So it's really, you know, key to, to think about how these solutions can amplify and support the work of employees. So how can you make the investigation process more efficient? How can you make reporting more efficient? How can you make teams um, across the organization, um, you know, whether you don't want any duplicate work happening? So I think it really demonstrates, you know, thinking about where the human fits into all of this and making sure that um, with all the challenges happening happening today and also you know the digitalization of uh, payment today and the kind of digitalization therefore of a lot of the risks, really making sure that these solutions factor in just where exactly um, the actual employees fall into it. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned investigations. Now, Mohammed, I know that uh, your expertise and some of your passion lies in this area. Um, I noticed a lack of patience in fraud investigations in here. I wanted to check that with you. When asked about the main challenges faced during the investigation process, 44% of the respondents said false positives, which is somewhat predictable. But they also said that investigations take too long to complete and there's too much information to get an investigation done in time. Your reaction to that? You're right. I mean, the false positive dilemma is really not something that's easy to resolve over the years. We're witnessing a lot of innovation took place and in the attempt to minimize, we probably haven't done the better job of advancing those forward to solve the, the biggest problem. So given really the, because they have to balance organizations or financial institutions, they have to balance between how many false positives I really can live with and without infringing on the risk tolerance that they currently have or they can actually accept because you can increase its risk tolerance and you can decrease it, it's the, uh, the false positive instantly. But how it's the balancing is the issue that remains um, and we see uh, regulators, actually, they are doing um, um, a great job on um, encouraging the machine learning aspects and the, the advanced technologies to resolve the false positives and process uh, uh, and, um, and produce high quality of suspicious activity reports because that's what matters at the end for them. But yeah, we'll see, we see some advancement. Uh, I hope we can see more advanced the technology uh, impact on the false positive reduction soon. But um, in the survey itself, actually, I also noticed there's like 60%, literally 60% of the respondents, they were sharing their, it takes them about one to two weeks to conclude in a case investigation. And that's to your second point about how long the process takes to conclude in a case. Now, I understand complex cases absolutely will take more than typical time. But as an average, two weeks to close a case—that's that's quite um, that's quite a long time and really risky to notice from the respondents on this case. But it's not because they would like to have it that long; it's because they the, that's how they process and that's where the the investigation process and maybe the tools that they have is what needs to be updated. And I um, and I really truly believe. Uh, uh, updating the tool will help in the investigation process and time of resolving the, the cases. And you need to remember the investigation is really is in the heart of any financial crime compliance program. It is the most important, in my opinion, the most important line of defense. And the organizations rely heavily on how efficient that line of defense is 
and what can be done to make it more even advanced. Um, yeah, so that's why really we see the uh, the investigations and needs more tools and these tools that help them uh, reduce the investigation time by bringing again professional efficiencies and workflow automations. So I think, I, or I'm wondering anyway, is is there an intimidation factor or a, a sense of of mystery around what an ECM investigation would look like? Could could you take some of that away? I mean, what, what does it look and feel like if, you, if you've been victimized by fraud and a company like Bottom Line comes in to investigate? Yeah, so t- today, this is real reality. Most organizations do really use more than just one tool in their investigations. I remember when I was working for one of the financial institutions, I used to have like almost seven or eight systems to carry on throughout my daily investigation process that is a lot of systems and these are systems are not connected they are siloed that requires multiple logins navigating through the structured and unstructured data is a nightmare trying to understand where the case started and who is involved in that case and each party involved requires a lot of work to be associated to and this is really where most of the investigation time is being spent another area which is really on the other end of the uh, of the investigation, which is uh, the the writing the summary, writing the summary of the case, and of course preparing the SAR to be reported. That is another area where the whole um, uh, time has also been taken. Now, if you think in between these two processes, there is a lot of manual process going on there. There is a lot of manual errors could happen, and in my opinion, poor case management tools can really result in poor decisioning and low quality of SARS, missed uh, fraud and financial crime incidents, and the frustration of the team who is handling the cases and investigation, and of course, no work efficiency and ultimately higher cost. Ideally, honestly, ideally, a single platform for investigation that really, really looks into the intelligently, and this is very important, intelligently looks into and gather all the case-related information from all these different systems to provide the case in a very visualized and really storytelling navigation, sorry, a narrative of the of the case, and and for the case analysts easily to make a decision ultimately on the how the case should be processed and how the case should be you know taken to the next level of escalation. All right, we'll look out for that. So that's a wrap um, on our latest episode of the Payments Podcast, which is uh, centered on enterprise case management. Um, we encourage you to um, tell friends, <laughs> tell people at work. Uh, we can you can find Payments Podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so I want to uh, extend a non fraudulent and completely true, sincere appreciation to you, Eliza Thompson, a, a financial crime researcher at Themis. Um, thanks a lot for your for your contribution and uh, look forward to reading the complete report. Yeah, definitely. It's been a really great research process. The report, I think, has some really uh, key and uh, kind of unexpected findings. So um, I recommend checking it out. And Mohammed Al-Zraikat, who is our global senior product manager for fraud and financial crime here at Bottom Line Technologies. Any parting words of wisdom, Mohammed? Yeah, I really find this study so insightful. I encourage everyone to have a look at this results and, um, you know, share feedbacks with us. I'm really, really excited. Excellent. Okay, thank you for listening. See you next time on the Payments Podcast.
Entertainment Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.